Now, you may notice, uh, if you have noticed, that on the, uh, the title page of uh, this, this talk, it's on the internet, it basically talks about you know, living in the spirit in, in evil days, in evil days, and, uh, which is actually a literal translation of uh, the words that Paul is using. Um, but I, I have on there, of course, a dead-end sign. And that actually is the situation... Um, from, a, from a human point of view, for the whole human race anyway. Because the truth is, no matter how rich we are, as we were singing about you know, silver and gold, no matter how rich we are, how, how intelligent we are, no matter how much science increases our lifespan, ultimately we die. It's the end. And it's that, that factor that living without Christ is a dead end. Living with him is a wonderful journey through, through a, 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 a life with challenges and maybe suffering, but a life of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to anybody listening, um, uh, please, please come uh, to the Lord to receive this forgiveness and this eternal life and all of the blessings he wants to give you. Um, uh, the, my message tonight is, is mainly for those who are believers, but... Please uh, come to Christ, even, even now, uh, as, uh, as you're listening uh, to the talk. Now, I want you to notice this, that Paul has been talking about walking, actually, right the way through Ephesians. You'll see the first verse I'm looking at is, look carefully, then, how you walk. Verse 15, he's talked about, um, in earlier in the Ephesians, about how we used to walk. In the lusts of our flesh, you know, darkness of mind and so on. And at the beginning of Ephesians, and there's various other verses where he's talking about the Christian walk. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, for instance, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And what he means by walking in love is our very life, not just our physical movement or our legs, but our, our thinking, our speaking, our, our whole way of life, our whole soul life as we live it out in the, in the bodies uh, should be lived in love. And here he specifically says, look carefully then how you walk. And um, the, the actual uh, words he uses for look, look carefully then how you walk, I mean, it's a, a common word he uses for, for, uh, in the Greek for, for looking um, but often this word blapo is used for, well, be very careful, you know, watch out. So, and th- then he talks about looking, looking carefully how you walk. Uh, in the King James Version, they use the word circum- circumspectly, which means uh, basically exactness, thoroughness, um, Examining, investigating something with great care and alertness is, is kind of what this, this means. Now, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is this. Being a Christian isn't just a cakewalk. It's not just a, you know, a, a, a kind of a joy-filled, peace-filled walk through the world in which we needn't actually think much about what we're doing. Paul is saying that living the Christian life actually must start in the mind. Our mind must be orientated and set in the right ways. Indeed, of course, in Colossians he talks about fix your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, of God. Uh, uh, and also we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's in, that's in the book of Hebrews. 
And we have to understand this, that often it's a dangerous thing to have a, a forgetful, empty mind. Perhaps we're listening to music all the time, or we're involved in, in, in things of this world which are kind of time um, grabbers, whether it be just reading newspapers all the time, or playing video games, or watching soaps, or whatever it is, it, it can dull our actual spiritual perceptions, and we are not walking carefully. Um, I was thinking about this, I was thinking, actually, Paul is kind of saying, we're, we're to kind of to be like the soldier uh, in, uh, in the, the, the um, American army, at least they call, that he walks on point. And what this means is, he, he's the kind of lead, uh, he's not the leader, but he's the lead soldier in a group of soldiers uh, going through enemy territory. And he's the one who's really got to be alert all of the time, seeing any dangers, any, any traps, any mines, that perhaps uh, the possibility of snipers. So... Paul is, is telling these Ephesians, look, you know, you've been told to be awake by God. That's a, the old, the, the, Paul gives this composite, composite of Old Testament sayings, awake, O sleeper, arise from bed and Christ will shine on you. But don't think you can sleep your way through the Christian life. Look carefully then how you walk. And uh, the thing is that uh, he, he actually uses, excuse the, the Greek, um, the present imperative, you know, continually do this. He's not saying just do it when you're, you know, when you're coming up to a big Christian event and you want to really be um, used by God and so, yeah, you're going to really concentrate on your Christian life for a few days before this happens. No, he's saying continually in just the same way as we are to live by the Spirit continually, be filled with the Spirit, he's, he goes on, of course, to say, be being filled with the Spirit um, in just the same way we are, we are to walk carefully, continually be uh, uh, conducting ourselves in a cautious way, uh, knowing that um, the devil is, is just waiting for us to, uh, you know, to fall into, into, into some, um, some habit, some, some sins, something that will actually, actually take us away from the Lord. So he says, that's the first thing. Be awake. Now... The next thing he says is not as unwise but as wise. Now this is very interesting because if you know anything about Paul, he actually didn't use the word wise and wisdom very, in a very complimentary way. Uh, you know, he talks in Romans about you know, uh, claiming to be wise, that is the non-Christian world and the non-Christian philosophers, claiming to be wise they became, fool, they became fools. And of course, in, in Corinthians, he talks about the wisdom of this world being hostile to the cross of Christ. And uh, he also, you know, says, where about being wise in your own eyes? And, but here, I think we can clearly see that Paul here in talking about wisdom and foolishness is rooted in the Old Testament, not in the Greco-Roman world, of its philosophies, of its intelligence, of its wisdom. No. He is rooted deep down into the world of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. Ancient wisdom, which, uh, which was revealed to prophets and to writers in Old Testament times, which, of course, prepared the way for the wisdom uh, that comes through in the New Testament. And we, uh, 
Nigel chose for us uh, a very appropriate, uh, a very appropriate song, the perfect wisdom of our God. And Paul says, "Look, you need to get, you need to be wise according to the revelation of God, not wise according to the world and its philosophies and its ethics and its this, that, and the other. No, we need to become wise in the Word, uh, which I will, I will talk a bit more about this uh, in a minute. But you'll see, he says." Uh, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And of course, how do we know the will of the Lord? It's not through some old, you know, the Lord showed me his will. No, you're not a prophet. You're not an apostle, and neither am I. But wonderfully, the Holy Spirit reveals to us as we read the word of God. God's hidden wisdom, which was, you know, uh, which was hidden since the foundation of the world, about all of the purposes uh, about salvation, about saving us and sanctifying us and making us new people, but also of wisdom in walking. And uh, he says that, make, make, uh, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, I'm going to look at this question of what does it mean making the best use of the time. But I want to look at the context of it. Because the days are evil. Now, what actually does that mean? Does it mean that when Paul lived in the Roman Empire, that, that, that those were evil times, whereas, and we know they were, they were horrifically evil times. I referred this, to this in, in previous talks on Ephesians. But just to mention these depressing uh, factors in the Roman Empire, which was, firstly, it was a slave society in which the vast, vast numbers of people were enslaved by a ruling class of Romans. It was a brutal, intolerant society in which, in which uh, any, uh, any, uh, any people who, who disagreed with the Roman Empire would find themselves being tortured. It was a cruel, sadistic society that actually, for fun, watched people die. Actually, for fun, staged circuses in which um, you know, gladiators would fight to the death. Uh, and even more horrifically, innocent people would be crowded into, into, into the, the ring of the circus, or whatever you want to call it. And there, they'd set wild animals on them. Not just lions, but, but they'd set bulls and, and even elephants to kill people. And everybody would be entertained by this. Now, it was an evil time. So it's, it's really, it's, it's, oh yeah, well, maybe that doesn't apply to us today. Well, this isn't, no, this isn't so. This expression, the days are evil, is rooted in the Old Testament. And it's rooted in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, you see, the same Greek word that is used, I checked it, it's actually this afternoon. Um, the same Greek word that is used for the days are evil is exactly the same word that's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, continually through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I actually think that a, a brief dip into the book of Ecclesiastes really gives us a helpful understanding of what Paul is talking about. Now, I want to notice this, that the book of Ecclesiastes is a relatively short book, 12, 12 chapters or so in the Old Testament, a dozen chapters, in which the writer, who calls himself a preacher, 
bewails the meaninglessness, the futility, and the vanity of this world lived under the sun. And when he uses this word under the sun, he's talking about living in this physical world with a dead end at the end of it. Death. The writer to to Ecclesiastes that may have been Solomon, I actually think it's more likely to have been Hezekiah, but uh, a name is not actually given to us about him apart from he was a king over Jerusalem, he had great wealth, and he had various experiences, and particularly had one of, one of debt. And I think it could be either of Solomon or Hezekiah. But the basic point is this. That God used their understanding of ancient wisdom. Solomon, we know, uh, investigated carefully the, the wise sayings. Uh, not only amongst the Hebrews, but no doubt um, the, uh, the ideas of the Sumerian world. And I, I would like to, to point out that the ancient world was not a, ignorant, a set of ignoramuses that didn't know anything about life. Many of these people living 2,000 years uh, before David, 1,000 years, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, years before Abraham, pondered on the meaning of life. You see, writing we know stretches back to 3,000 BC. That's 5,000 years ago. And men and women confronted the same problems as we have today. The happiness of youth, old age, sickness, and death. And they pondered, and they knew that that civilization went back thousands of years before them. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees in about 1800 BC, 1800 years before Christ. But Ur of the the Chaldees in the Sumerian civilization as a whole that he came from, in in the the Iraq area, uh, stretched back 1500 years before that. They had writings, they had philosophy, they had law, they had history. And men, men pondered on this, this, this thing, we're all going to die. What's the point of it all? What's the point? Now that is the subject the book of Ecclesiastes deals with. And the Holy Spirit basically distills the... the um, the, 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 the understanding of the ancient world and the understanding of Solomon or Hezekiah, whoever wrote it, about this dead-end world. Now, there are clear indications the Holy Spirit gives in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes about the coming judgment and there being a life after death um, so that there's glimpses of the, of the future uh, life after death. But generally speaking, the book of Ecclesiastes is about living in this dead-end world and uh, I'm going to read a few things from it to, to, uh, to remind us, who've already read it, or those who've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, about, about the evils of this, of this life under the sun. He uh, says this in chapter 1. In fact, if you want to open your Bibles, it might be helpful, because um, I am going to look at quite a few verses in Ecclesiastes. Um, but if you want to look at uh, chapter Firstly, chapter uh, 1, it's after Proverbs, so that's on page uh, 656, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 3, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Ecclesiastes 1.9, what what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. 
I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and, and behold, all is vanity, meaningless, futile, striving after wind, catching the wind, as a, as a 1960s folk song talked about. There was nothing to be done. And 2.17, I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. That word in the Greek, in the Greek is poneros. It, uh, it's derived from poneros, that verb. And basically, um, same, as, same as Paul is using. A grievous evil. 2.17, for all his vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is stupid, he's basically saying. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all of the toil and my labours under the sun. What does a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Now, as you go through Ecclesiastes, this... um, uh, the author ponders upon grievous evils that he sees under the sun. Chapter 4, I, uh, verse 1, if you just move on to page 658, he says, Again I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort, comfort them. But better than both is who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. I, and again, I saw vanity under the sun. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with the youth who was to stand in the king's palace. There is a grievous evil. Same word as Paul is using about the evil days, evil the come, the times come. I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by the owner to his hurt. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. Now, I could go on, actually. I've got quite a lot more to do. Uh, I could have read through various verses right the way through to chapter 11. But I, I think we, you can see this, that... So when the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about evil under the sun, our evil days we live in, he's not just merely talking about his days. He's talking about going back centuries and thousands of years. That's what it's like, living in a dead-end world. Because not only have you got the, the, the horror of the fact your life is going to come to an end and everything you strive for seems to be a waste of time, and, you lo- and, you, and you're, you're going somewhere that, that's dark and awful, and in fact... Uh, even before then, he, he describes the, the, the real uh, sufferings of old age. One of the last, cha- uh, last, last chapter or so, he talks about, uh, about um, rejoice when you're young before the evil days come. The evil days. The hard days, the difficult days of going through the suffering of old age and then facing the dead end that you're dying. So... I think that Paul is also talking, getting back to uh, Ephesians, he's not just talking about Roman times. He's not just talking about uh, you know, the, rel- the relative, um, the relative um, improvements, for instance, that 21st century Britain has compared to 19th century Britain. Relatively, we have better health. 
There's been less wars. We've had this since the last 75 years. We've had no European wars. So relatively, we've lived in a bubble of, of uh, better times. But actually, even though you know, there are these bubbles of better times in societies, as indeed Israel experienced, bubbles of better times when they walked close with God and there was prosperity and peace. But actually, the norm living in this world is that... that Grievous things are going to happen. Time and chance happens to everybody. People that uh, I was reading uh, just um, this afternoon about a, a Nobel. Uh, no, he was uh, yes, he, I think he was a Nobel Prize winner. And the day after he received the Nobel Prize, he was only in his fifties. He dropped down dead. And time and chance happen to everybody. Christians die in car accidents. Christians die in all kinds of ways. We, we can't seem to understand it. So living under the sun in the physical world, without a relationship with the living God, life seems futile and meaningless, and ultimately people can never truly be content or at peace in this world. And Paul, so when he's saying, Paul says, you know, that you need to, uh, you need to, to walk carefully, you need to be wise and not foolish, because the days are evil, he is talking about us living in a fallen world. And uh, talking about us facing um, disasters sometimes, sufferings, difficulties in our lives. The, uh, all of these problems that uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is musing about. But of course also the days are evil because there is an evil intelligence behind this world. Now, uh, as I said, in the book of Ecclesiastes you only have one or two insights into the, the, uh, the supernatural world of God. But actually, of course, we know that there isn't just a dimension of, uh, of the sovereign God who rules over this whole universe. There is also an evil force, an evil intelligence that is leading people into evil. And indeed is an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Christianity, and an enemy of your soul. And the thing is, we're living under his influence. Just as we're under the, the actual physical sun, also we're in this world we are under his influence. We can be tempted, we can be dragged down. We can, be, we can be kind of really uh, demolished in our Christian life if we're not careful. And so Paul says, what we need to do is understand that in this world in which we have all of these, these, uh, these um, problems leading to the dead end of death, what should we do? And he says, now, I think the English Standard Version is, is a fairly... Um, um, what can I call it, less than vivid translation of the original word. The, the original uh, words are, um, is redeeming, redeeming the time, buying back the time because the days are evil. Buying back the time. Now, uh, in using that word, he's actually, uh, he's actually telling us uh, that our response to the fact that we're living in, a, in, a, in difficult times, that we're living in uh, a world uh, in which our lives rapidly walk by, we're to redeem the time. And I want to uh, actually think for a second about um, this thing about uh, the these evil times being the times which actually seem almost cursed. 
It's almost as if our days are are under a curse. I mean, to some people they feel that. Um, I've mentioned already the fact that as we live in this world, things happen which are are out of the blue and tragedies and that set us back. And and it seems we're vulnerable to all of these things, just like everybody else. But also, of course, mentioned already, time, the days, day after day, brings eventually, sometimes sickness when we're in middle age, sometimes we become very old and then we become sick and then we die. And and isn't it tragic that, that today people live in this fantasy world where people are 70 or 80 and they want to pretend that they're still young and they spend tens of thousands of pounds on cosmetic surgery now, actually, there's nothing wrong with trying to remain fit and healthy in old age. I think it's good. Good stewardship of the body. And in fact, there was an article in the paper yesterday that said, if you do 10 minutes of, uh, of um, exercise every day, that will add, rather than living a totally sedentary life, um, you, it'll add two years to your life. Um, so when you get older, you'll have the two extra years. And it's, perfectly, it's, a, it, it, it's a perfectly good and acceptable thing for a Christian to take literally Paul's words to Timothy when he says bodily exercise is of some value. It is of some value. But of course Paul goes on to say, but godliness is profitable in every way, not just in this life, but for the life to come. But we have a situation where we, ha- we have all these 50, 60, sometimes it starts at 40, modelling their body, using Botox, using fillers, using all kinds of things to actually give the impression that they're still young. Now, what's wrong with it? Well, firstly, it's foolish, because we need to face the fact that we are getting old and we are going to pass away one day. The Bible is clear. Isaiah 40, verse 6 says, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All fresh flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. And, you know, men and women in youth have a... Glorious beauty. Young youth is wonderful, isn't it? But we have to understand that we are just flowers and we are going to fade. And uh, um, we need to understand that we will fade. And, and as it says in Psalm 103, verse 14, God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place is known no more, but the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Now, of course, we need to understand the importance that in, in time, in these days in which we live, the evil days in which we live, in which we have these, these, these grievous times that may really uh, be, be, provide great uh, difficulties and trauma and suffering, for, we need to understand that God doesn't want to con- us to concentrate on our, our exterior, but he wants us to be remodeled inside, that we radiate the beauty of Christ. You know, it says in the Bible, you know, with, with uh, referring to women of the Roman Empire that used to spend vast amounts on incredible hairdos. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, amazing. And, 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 you know, we're told, you know, don't concentrate on outward adorning, but, you know, that beauty of the, 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 the heart. And this doesn't just apply to women, it applies to men as well. We need to promote this inner beauty which radiates through our life. That's what the Lord says. Now, the other reason why the days seem like they're cursed to us is because it passes by so quickly. Job, 
who is seriously ill and thinks he may die and he wants to die and he, he curses the, the day on which he was born. He says in Job chapter 7 verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Now a weaver's shuttle is very rapid compared to you know, normal weaving before they, had, before they had this primitive machine called the weaver's shuttle. In the, in the old days, you know, you, to, to make a, a garment, it would take a long time. With a weaver's shuttle, going backwards and forwards, putting the threads together from the various things, making tapestries, making clothes, was very quick. And Job says, that's what my life is like. It's going by so quick, I can't keep up with it. Remember that my life is a breath, my eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. And the thing is this, of course, that is what life is like. Life goes by so quickly. Now, uh, let's note that therefore when, um, when Paul says that we need to buy back, the, we need to buy back, redeem the time, Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. What does that mean? Okay, we understand that life is moving by quickly. We're not going to die. There's a dead end. What does he mean by uh, uh, redeeming the time? Buying back the time? Well, the first thing to understand is when he uses the word time, he actually isn't talking merely about length of time. Uh, the word that is used, uh, that's kind of chronos, which is, you know, we get chronometers and chronology from that. But he's using the word kairos, which has to do more with opportunity. And so some translations say making the most of every opportunity. Or, literally, buying back opportunities. What is this saying? It's telling us that we have wonderful opportunities in this life to be filled with the Spirit. He goes on, that's the big opportunity. And having been filled with the Spirit, then our whole of our lives takes on a different takes on a different aspect. Because now we're living the whole of our lives to the glory of God. The man in Ecclesiastes, he's going about his narrow world in which uh, he, he knew nothing of, nothing of the, or next to nothing of the, the, the time to come apart from the, I'm going to Sheol, the land of darkness, maybe even hell. Um, but we know that every day, every hour, we have spiritual opportunities. As uh, Henry was talking about this morning, being Christ, these spiritual blessings that we can enjoy. And uh, so when Paul is, is talking about buying back those opportunities, what does that mean in practice? Well, I think partly it, mean, it, mean, it means this. It means our wholehearted desire to actually be living for the Lord. In our, in our times. Now, I don't think it means that every one of us should, oh, I want to be a Christian worker, I want to spend all my time doing evangelism. Well, no. <laughs> because the opportunities for glorifying God is in everything we do. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not, eat, it, you know, questions of eating and drinking this or drinking that, following this rule, following that rule. But it's actually... Living, doing everything for the glory of God. Living for the glory of God. Indeed, in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he does, uh, the writer does talk about the texture of human life. And he says, there's a time for everything under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time 
to plant and a time to reap. A time for war and a time for peace. A time for this and a time for that. And a Christian should see it, we should see our lives in all of the changing scenes of life to be opportunities to glorify God. You're a wife with kids. And you don't have much time for, for, for a lot of Christian work. You may do, do some, but you've got, you've got your children and you've got you know, various respons- domestic responsibilities. And that is your opportunity to glorify God as a mother. <laughs> you know, you don't have to feel guilty. Oh, I wish I could do as much as such and such. No. Um, you have a responsibility if you're a worker to glorify God in your daily work. You have a responsibility as a neighbour. Everything, everything we, can, we do, we do to the glory of God. Now, of course, the Lord uh, has a plan and purpose for Christians in churches to be working and committing uh, our time as the Lord directs us personally uh, in, in certain things. Uh, we don't believe in this church that a pastor should be saying, you should be spending four hours a week and you should give you know, so many thousands a year to the earth. And this, no. We, uh, we believe that God will direct you because that's indeed what, what Paul says, doesn't he, in this passage. He says, therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, um, I read just a, a little bit from a guy called Stephen Cole. I have actually dipped into in the past and found it very helpful. And he he says this about um, this verse, or around about this verse. He says, he's basically uh, saying that what Paul is talking about here is is understand what the purposes of the law is, that the Lord is. What what is God's will? What is God's purposes? Uh, How do we we know how we're supposed to live? Of course, we look into the Bible. But he says this, it's very important to understand this. When we think about being godly, we probably think about holiness, how we behave, which of course... Is is, is, is is part of it. But what we need to understand is that God is a God of purposes. He does things for his good pleasure. He plans things from eternity. He purposed to create planet Earth. He purposed to create you. And he wants us, made in the image of God, also to have purposes, also have aims, also to have, have uh, a great, um, a great um, um, mission in our own lives. Jesus himself said in uh, John 17, verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And we should indeed imitate our Savior. To accomplish the work which you've given me to do. Now, as I've said, for us, there's lots of things. Even a a pastor or a preacher... has got a domestic life, has got a home life, has relatives, has interactions with all kinds of non-Christian people, has practical things to do, and so on. And uh, just like every other church member. And we have all of these different varieties of things happening in life. And in all of these things, we glorify God. And in glorifying him, we will enjoy our lives. Uh, If uh, the catechism is taken... What is the purpose of man? To, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we start enjoying God in this life. And then we'll have perf- perf- perfect peace and joy in, in heaven itself. And so, um, people that, that uh, don't seek to know the will of God, don't seek to know the purposes of God, and, and they don't seek to have God's purposes planted as, on the agenda, top agenda in our own hearts and minds, 
They're foolish. How many times have I heard preachers on, on uh, Christian TV saying, fulfill your dreams. God wants you to fulfill your dreams. Well, that's a travesty of the truth. He wants us to fulfill his purposes. <laughs> Not our dreams. In a way, you might say, he wants our purposes to become our dreams. Our human dreams may lie trampled in the dust. Our job may go wrong, we may be redundant. Our marriage may, may fall apart. We may get ill and we may die long before we expected to. Our dreams may lie trampled in, a, in, in the dust, but God gives peace, fulfillment and joy in evil days. In when everything goes wrong. And our ambition is to please the Lord in all respects. He says that um, in Colossians 1 verse 10. To please him in all respects. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, his ambition, this was a, a, a verse that uh, Henry, um, um, or part of a passage Henry dealt with recently, uh, his ambition was to be pleasing to him. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So, um, Paul is, is saying that we should be careful as we walk, not as the unwise, the non-Christian, but as the wise, the man and woman that has been schooled in the revelation of God, making the best use of the time, buying back what would normally be wasted time, uh, time that, that the non-Christian make, can make nothing out of, we're able to make something of every time in our life, every opportunity, every, every episode in our daily life can actually be used to glorify God in. Um, but he then goes on to say, therefore don't be under, foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here, uh, I just want to make this point, we preachers, as weak and often sometimes uh, sometimes uh, not as clear as we should be, we are, we are trying to make clear what the will of the Lord is from the Bible. And that's why it's good to listen to sermons. And it's good to study the Bible. It's good to meditate and think through these things. Um, uh, you, may, uh, you may notice that Paul says, Understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, um, we know that a drunken person uh, can, take, can respond in different ways to their inebriation. Some drunk people literally just kind of sit in the pub smiling. You know. Others are aggressive, horrible, horrible, say horrible and most awful things that they'd be ashamed of if they, were, if they were sober and can be involved in fights. But above all, they're spending hours and hours getting drunk and they spend hours and hours getting over their hangover and their lives are being wasted, degraded, corrupted, and ultimately, if they, if they carry on getting drunk all the time, they become totally enslaved uh, to alcohol. And Paul says, well, don't, don't be like that. But, uh, and of course, this applies to not just alcohol, it applies to, to drugs, it applies to money, it applies uh, to immoral sex, it applies to... to uh, all, fantasizing about your role in the world and so on and so forth. All these, don't, don't get inebriated with other things. Don't get taken up 
and uh, allow your life's resources to be wasted on those things. But be being filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, I I do want to say that this is a very, very important um, thing. That, uh, Of course, Paul deals with this idea of be being filled with the Spirit. In the next, um, right down to verse uh, 32, at the end. All of these things he's talking about, relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, in the next chapter, and then slaves and masters and so on. All of this is, is, are these opportunities that we have uh, to do everything for the glory of God. But I, I do want to, to notice that Paul, in, in discussing uh, these, um, these areas, he actually he, he puts central to it, living in the Spirit. Now, one response to this question of, oh, time is going by quickly, I want to buy back the time, is we might make a whole set of resolutions about the future way we're going to use time. Now, there was a wonderful, incredible Christian called Jonathan Edwards who wrote the most amazing books um, and was involved in the wonderful revival um, in America um, uh, roughly at the same time as uh, as, as the revival in Britain in the Great Evangelical Awakening. And when he was a 15 or 16-year-old, he made a whole series of resolutions about his use of time. He resolved never to waste one bit of time and went through a whole list of things. Now, I actually don't think that that is actually what Paul is trying to get us to do when he says, be being filled with the Spirit. He is reminding us here that we do live in a supernatural universe. And the Holy Spirit is real and he's within us. And... It isn't so much that we need to be making resolution after resolution after resolution, a lot of which we won't actually keep. But we need to concentrate upon being close to Christ. Praying uh, each day for, uh, for the areas of our life that have gone wrong and that we want to go right. If, if we're having problems at work, we need to pray the day before we go to work. Lord, keep me from sin and help me to work properly. If we're having problems in our marriage, day by day, pray for the different aspects of our marriage. Pray for the areas that are going wrong. Pray for God's help. But above all, we are depending upon Him answering our prayers and enabling us to respond to the Word of God and, 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 and changing us. As Again, Henry, Henry uh, very clearly put this morning how when, when someone is born again, God is, is refashioning and refurbishing. In fact, from uh, not just the outside of the house, but the whole house is being rebuilt. Really, a new house is being uh, built in our lives. And we're going to look uh, in, in further, further uh, Sunday evenings uh, at this living in the Spirit. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, wrote a series of books, Living in the Spirit, and he, he spent a whole book on dealing with uh, this not only the few verses I've done tonight, but the whole um, of uh, chapter 6 uh, to verse um, halfway through 6 to 6-9. Six, now, I don't spend, intend spending that much time on it, but I do want us to notice that. It is through the Holy Spirit that our lives will be transformed. It is by seeking his help and seeking um, Christ uh, as our friend and saviour and guide uh, our, our fount of wisdom that we will be transformed so let me just read these words again look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time redeeming the time buying back the time because the days are evil 
Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. <laughs>